You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Harvest Niagara. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you need a Bible this morning, if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, we have ushers who are passing a Bible. Now, if you put your hand up, and especially if you don't own a Bible this morning, that you put your hand up and grab one of these and take these home as our gift to you. If it's anything like my church, if you want a better Bible than that, there should be a table, Lost and Found table, with really nice leather Bibles on it. Grab one of those. Uh, some have names on it. Maybe it'll match your name, so that'd be great. Okay. Listen, I'm, I'm really excited to be here this morning with you guys. Um, uh, glad to be here. I, I bring greetings from, from Muskoka. Uh, thankful to be partnering with you guys for the gospel and uh, really feel an affinity to your church. As, as our church com- connect with your church, we, we have a lot of similarities. We've served um, in missions together, uh, been on mission trips together, our churches together. We... Um, we both serve in kind of similar communities. We're both in, in uh, places more known, more known for tourism. Uh, we both have churches known also for their unbelievably attractive senior pastors. Um, kidding about that one. Uh, listen, I, I am uh, very thankful. Listen, I, <clears throat> I know you guys love uh, your pastor, Pastor Daryl. I do as well. And I, I, love, I love your pastor's humility. Um, I, here's the thing that I do I love about, about Daryl. Um, Daryl is somebody who, who, in the fellowship, leading the charge in our fellowship of churches to make sure that we stay focused on the power of prayer. Uh, just a heart for we need to be churches that are on our knees, that prayer isn't an add-on. Prayer isn't a, a thing that we just kind of use as a fill-in. It's not just something we throw as a thing that we do and we say we do, but that we recognize that without Christ... Without the Spirit at work this morning, there's nothing that can happen. And so that, that we recognize that God does nothing but an answering prayer. I'm thankful that Daryl is, is one who continues to remind us of that. And, and then to have a heart that does that, your pastor is one who says, Man, strip everything else away. I just want Jesus. So you see it in his life. You see it here in your church where, where we don't need the light show. We don't need all the stuff. We just need Jesus this morning. And that's a blessing for you guys to have as a church. Uh, I just want to just say how much I love Daryl, but I also know you guys love your pastor as well. Let me pray, and we're going to jump into the word together. Heavenly Father, I, I, I do come this morning just with a, an unbelievable awareness even now, God, that apart from you, we can do nothing. That even this morning, we, we bring into this room here, Lord, that there, there are many who come in burdened from the weak. There are some who come in with burdens of, of, of family strife, with burdens of relationships, with, with financial struggle, with health difficulties, with, with trouble at school or at work or in life. And God, we bring these this morning knowing this, that, that we're not going to uh, have our lives and these things dealt with because we've met with people, but because we've met with the holy, awesome creator of the universe. Lord God, we need you today. Father, that this morning as we open up your word, God, that our hearts would be changed. Father, that, that marriages could be healed even this morning, that, that prodigals could come home, that, that lives that were lost and dead could be restored, that addictions could be broken, that, that Lord God, that when you show up, we are transformed. So Father, would, God, by your grace, could we see that this morning? Father, we, we, we entrust this whole morning to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you got your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 3 this morning, you know, it was in, uh, actually in 1859 that someone else came to Niagara. Charles Blondin came to Niagara, and he set up a tight wire across the Niagara Gorge, 300 meters across. Okay, you guys probably know this because you're from here. Somebody like, I was there, 1859. I saw him do it, right? And, and he set this wire up, and it's, it's remarkable. He didn't just cross the Niagara Gorge. He went back and forth. He used a wheelbarrow to go across. He went across on stilts. He, he even went across, set a chair up in the middle to stand on the chair on one leg on the wire. He even did this. Is, I couldn't believe this, but I know it's true because I read it on Wikipedia. He went out to the middle of the wire and sat down and cooked and ate an omelet. The, the, the dude owned that wire. He also did this, which is unbelievable. He took his manager on his back and went across the wire with his manager on his back. But think about that for a second. Think about being his manager. You'd want a lot of money to be that guy's manager, right? But now imagine this. Imagine as you're going across, imagine you're the manager on Blondin's back. You get halfway across that gorge and imagine the manager tapping him on the shoulder. Hey, hey, Charles, thanks for bringing me this far, but you know what? I think I can take it the rest of the way. 
Thanks for getting me out in the middle, but I'll, I'll walk the rest of the way on my own from here. It, it sounds ridiculous that, that you would even think to do that, but it's the very same situation that Paul is talking about in this letter to the Galatian church and for us today. He's blowing up one of the greatest misconceptions about the Christian life. I mean, Scripture's so clear that the reality of the gospel is that our acceptance by God is based only on Jesus and nothing else. Your, your acceptance, your salvation, your, your standing with God has nothing to do with what you do, what you bring to the table, nothing that you've done. It's all grace. Right? There's no bartering with God. There's, there's, there's no adding to the work of Jesus. In fact, if you look at chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, verse 21, it ends off this way. It says, if righteousness were through the law, where it was by doing good things, was what you brought to the table. It says this, then Christ died for no purpose. If being right with God was not all grace, what this verse says here is that Jesus was a sucker to go to the cross. I mean, why wouldn't God, if it wasn't grace, why wouldn't God just have yelled down from heaven to us this morning, be good? Just follow the law. But he didn't do that. Why? Because the gospel is not good advice for people who need good advice. It's good news for those who are dead outside of grace. And that can be hard enough to get our heads wrapped around this, this whole idea where, where we come to Christ. We, we're made right with God by grace alone. But here's where Christians can so quickly lose grace. It, this is where we can miss it. This is where Harvest Niagara, we can miss this. We think grace is what got us out onto the wire, but I can take it from here. We can say, yeah, grace got me invited into the party with God, and, and I shouldn't have been invited here. Like, I, I'm a nobody. I don't know anyone. I'm, I'm broken, messed up. Uh, I shouldn't be here. Uh, I, Bible, Scripture calls me an enemy of God before Christ changed my heart. And yet, so I know I've been invited into the party by grace. But then we get into the room, into the party, and soon we start thinking, i got to work harder if I'm going to stay here. And we think, oh, I get it, that God demands perfection, so maybe today, maybe today I can be perfect, and hopefully if I am, that God can look at me today and say, you're doing good, you're perfect today. I mean, the truth of the gospel is that it's not about me and you, it's not about the work we bring, it's, it's because of Christ. When, when you put your faith in Christ, you're made perfect. You're declared righteous, and you, you now have God's Spirit in you, working with you, where you walk and submit your life to the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit to be transformed every day more and more into the image of Christ. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, what we're going to see in this text this morning is this, I need grace to live just as much as I did to come alive. I need grace to live just as much as I did to come alive. You know, Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians, and if, if he were writing as an email today, it would be an all-caps kind of email. Paul is really fired up about this idea of grace, about the gospel being, being manipulated, the gospel being lost. In fact, if you read other uh, letters that we have in the New Testament, Paul writing to churches, you would think the letter he wrote to the Corinthian church Read 1 Corinthians. I mean, they were getting drunk in communion at church. They had sexual sins celebrated in the church that Paul said even the pagans looking in would say, that's messed up. And yet Paul writes this letter to the Galatian church and he's more fired up in this letter. And all the way through his main point through this whole letter to the Galatian church is, what's wrong with you guys? Stop messing with grace. Stop missing the gospel. He said, listen, Jesus took the chains of, of the law off of your neck. Why are you putting them back on? You, you've been set free from sin and bondage. Why are you checking back into prison? Why are you swimming back across the Red Sea to get back into Egypt, into bondage? And the church in Galatia, they knew the truth of grace. They, they knew that God had first accepted them according to grace through faith because of the finished work of Christ on the cross but now they find themselves as followers of Christ trying to stay right with God by trying harder, doing better, being good enough. How many of us struggle with this too? 
Maybe you show up here this morning and you're like, you know, I, I've had a good week with, with my walk with Christ. I've, I've done really well. I've been in the Word a bit. I've, 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 I've done well in my, in my relationships. And I mean, I even serve at church and I, I do these good things. So I, I show up here this morning with this attitude of, God, you need to bless me because of how I've done this week. Or maybe you come in here with the opposite thought. You're like, I haven't done so good this week. I haven't been the best spouse. I, I, I was ashamed of Christ at my work or my school this week. I'm, I'm still battling this sin that I so wish I could get beyond, but I still run to it for comfort. I still struggle with it. And In fact, even this morning, maybe you're like, man, we woke up this morning not doing great as a family. We fought all the way here with the kids, trying to get them into the van, trying to get them here. We threw them in Harvest Kids. We, we show up, and it's already the second or third song in a worship, so I turn to my spouse going, look, we're late again. Let's worship. Right? And we laugh because like, that's us, right? Like we do that a lot, right? And so what do we do? We come here this morning and we think, there's no way God can love me this morning. And Paul says to both of us, those who would come in thinking, I've done so great, or those who would come in thinking, I've failed so much, and we were questioning God's love for us based on what we do. Look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. He says, you fools, you guys are crazy. One modern translation puts it this way. He says, you dear idiots of Galatia. Right? The Amplified isn't any better. It says it this way. Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Now listen, Paul's not calling them dumb here. When he says you're, you're foolish, it doesn't mean that you don't have knowledge. It means you have all the information, but you choose not to act on it. You have this power, but you choose to ignore it. It's like being given a brand new car, and then you push it everywhere you take it. Look what Paul's saying here. The first three verses here, Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says, you got out onto this wire, not on your own effort. Why are you trying now to move forward in the flesh? He says, he says Jesus changed you, and, and Jesus is still at work changing you, changing your life. And in fact, even this morning, as we come in here this morning, I mean, how many would raise their hand and say, man, I still struggle with sin? It's church, so nobody wants to raise their hand, right? Those of you who get the gospel are like, yeah, right here, I, I struggle with it all the time. I'm still battling with it right now. And listen, all the religion in the world, all the striving in the world won't take care of our sin problem. I need the work of God's spirit today. I need Jesus today just as much as I did on that day I first laid down my life and said, I need you, Jesus we never graduate beyond our need for grace. Because we, we begin to recognize, you look through Scripture, following Christ, having new life in Jesus, it's not about, hey, here's a, a new battery because your heart seems to be slowing down a little bit. It's not like, oh, you had a heart attack, it got fixed, we're going to put a pacemaker in you now. No, what happened is your heart was dead, a stone, and God removed that and gave you a new heart. And so our daily life, it's, it's made possible by, by this new heart in you, Christ's heart in you every day, every moment possible by that power in you, his strength in you. And I like how Ezekiel says it, Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, God says this, I will take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then Colossians 2, 6 says this, it says, as you began in Christ, as you received Christ, now walk in him. Again, this is what Paul's saying here in verse 1. Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
How did you receive Christ? When you received God's spirit, what role did you play in your salvation? Was it because you were doing so great in your life that God looked down from heaven and said, wow, you're like killing it. You used to be like a yellow belt of righteousness, but now you're like a black belt of righteousness. I'm gonna declare you perfect. No, what happened? You came to that place where you tapped out and you said, I can't save myself. I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't be righteous on my own. So Jesus, I need you. If that's how the journey began with Jesus, how do we go on now living for Jesus? We do it in the very same way. Verse three, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You you didn't receive the spirit because you started doing great things. No, at the moment you trusted in God, at that moment of transformation, you were given the spirit of God. And he's saying, now stop trying to walk in perfection by your own efforts. Don't get halfway out on the tightrope and say, God, I can take it from here. The only way that we can, we can walk in holiness, the only way we can live out this Christian life, the only way we can live in the power that we were created to live in is for us to wake up every morning just as desperate for God's grace as the first day we gave our lives to him. You need him just as much to keep going as the day you first started. Maybe you can think of it this way. You know the story in Matthew 14 where, where Jesus walks on the water. And if you don't know the story, it goes like this, where Jesus had told his disciples, hey, why don't you guys get in the boat, go across the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to meet you on the other side. And they take off, and they're out in the middle of Sea of Galilee. This huge storm comes in. And Jesus sees them as he's praying up on a mountainside. He actually walks out onto the water. They see him coming. It freaks them out. They think it's a ghost. They call out, Jesus, is that you? And he goes, it's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, then call me out onto the water with you. And Jesus says, come on out. I mean, can you imagine in that moment how much faith it took for Peter to jump out of the boat? Jesus, if you're real, I'm about to trust you with my life. I mean, isn't that the moment of salvation where, where you would cry out to God, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, I, I'm going to turn from what I've been pursuing for life and happiness and joy and peace and hope. I'm turning from that and I'm putting my whole life into your hands. I'm going to follow you with everything. I mean, how, how much did you need Jesus in that moment? How much did Peter need Jesus as he leaps out of the boat? I mean, think about it. This, this is not the time where Jesus did that whole peace be still thing. The storm is raging. Peter jumps out. Huge faith, huge need of Jesus. Now, I can imagine the other disciples, they'd be high-fiving each other like, look at Peter. This is awesome. He, he jumps out, and then what happens? As soon as he gets out onto the water, Scripture says that he started to look around, and he saw the storm, and he saw the waves. He begins to doubt. He starts to sink. He doubts the call of Jesus to step out of the boat. And at that moment, as he starts to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me! And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, swim harder! No. Peter, what kind of prayer is, Lord, save me? Quote some scripture, man. You gotta pray a better prayer than that. Why don't you, you gotta pray a special prayer and here's what it's gonna look like. You gotta draw a circle around the storm and you gotta learn what walking in the water is really about. And No, what's it say? It says immediately, the word is immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed Peter. Pulls him up onto the top of the water and brings him back into the boat. Gets Peter into the boat and then Jesus says this. He says, why'd you have such little faith? Peter, why'd you doubt? I, mean, I thought Peter had huge faith to jump out of the boat, to respond to that call to come. But listen, he needed, he needed the same amount of faith to keep walking. Again, verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
I mean, why did Peter begin to sink in that moment? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He took his eyes off of where his faith needed to be placed, and he started looking at the storm all around him. And we stop looking at Jesus, and we start to look at our past. And you don't know the sins that I've got in my past, the decisions I've made. When we start to look at our hurts, when we start to look at our troubles, the storm of the life that we're in, we take our eyes off of where our hope comes from. We begin to sink. In fact, as we talk about grace, our second point this morning is this, I can never take my eyes off of Jesus. I need Jesus now just as much as I did to start this journey with him, and I can never now take my eyes off of him. You know, I used to uh, live out west, and when I lived in British Columbia, and I, I, I started to, to get into to downhill mountain biking, and the person who first showed it to me says, hey, let me take you up on a mountain, and we're going to teach you how, this, how to do this. And his, his greatest piece of advice was this, whatever happens, always look where you want to go. Where you look, your body will fall. And I thought, okay, good advice. I start down this hill faster than I probably should have been going, and I see this tree that for some reason decided to grow as close to the trail as possible, right? And so what did I do? I started looking at that tree. And I'm like, oh, don't hit the tree. Just don't hit that tree. That's a tree I don't want to hit. Don't go towards that tree. Bam, right into the tree. I couldn't stop looking at it. Where you look, your body will follow. Listen, it's same in our walk with Christ. It's the same in the spiritual realm. Where you look, where you put your hope, where you put your trust, you're going to follow that. I mean, think again of Peter. I mean, Peter looked to Jesus and jumped out of a boat onto the storm. He then takes his eyes off of Christ, off of where his help comes from. Look at verse 1 again of chapter 3 here. I mean, Paul's question to them uh, about what happened to them, he says, who has bewitched you? The, the word there is, is a word like hypnotized you. Who's, who's fooled your eyes? Who's got you to look in a different way, a different direction? He goes on, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Peter takes his eyes off of Christ, puts it on his own effort, the Galatian church took their eyes off of grace, off of the cross of Christ. They begin to look everywhere else for what it looks like to technique, to their own effort, to deep within themselves. Hey, hey, maybe this is how we live the Christian life. And Paul says, why are you doing that? Who got you looking that way? He says, Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified for you. He's, Paul's saying, I preached Christ crucified so many times, it's like I put billboards up all over this town. Like, you should have known that and seen that. And apparently, Paul preached the gospel a lot. You'd show up at church, and Paul's the preacher, and be like, oh, again, another sermon on the gospel, Paul? Like, Paul, come on, we've moved past that. That's the ABCs of Christianity. And Paul would say, it's not the beginning, it's not the ABCs, it's A to Z, it's everything. That Christ lived the life that I could not live, a perfect holy life. He then died the death that I should have died, was buried and conquered sin and death and myself, and he rose from the grave so that now you and I could be called sons of the living God, justified, changed, transformed, made righteous, that we're being sanctified every day more and more to look like Christ, and then either through my death or Christ's return, one day we will be glorified. I mean, that's what Paul taught. He said, I taught this so clearly, it never should have made, your eyes never should have left Jesus. But they were fooled, they were bewitched, they were tricked by false teachers, they stopped looking to Jesus. You start to think about this, how, how often and how many things tempt us to look away from Christ to look to other things to save us. And, and it's not always sinful things. The, the church here in Galatia, they weren't looking towards bad things. They were actually looking to good things. We want to do good works. We want to follow the law of the Old Testament. They're, they're good things, but these are things they said, this is our hope. This is what's going to save us. What brings you hope this morning? I mean, maybe it's your marriage. If only my marriage was better, if only I had a perfect marriage, then I would have hope. If only my spouse could, could live out in this way, then I would have hope. Listen, we need to, to, to tear up that perfect picture of a family before that picture tears up our family because our family cannot bear the weight of our soul. Maybe you look to health. 
When things are going good health-wise, I can trust God. But, but when things start to, to fail, I, I just lose God. I start to lose my hope. Or, or maybe you put your faith in, in what you do. If you serve more, man, I serve so much at church. Or, or, man, I'm plugged into a small group. That's where my hope is. That's what's really important. Where are you this morning putting your trust and your hope? Is it being well thought of? Maybe it's security and control. And maybe for you, it's, it's as long as I have peace and peace at all costs. Or maybe it's your stuff. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's just you look deep inside yourself for peace. And Paul's brilliant argument for anyone who's looking anywhere else but Jesus, Paul's brilliant argument is you're a fool. What are you crazy? Life without grace, living your life without grace is crazy. If anyone, including yourself, points you away from Jesus or ever says, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need this, you need to say, what are you crazy? Jesus is all I need. We're bombarded all the time with promises of hope outside of Christ. We're bombarded all the time from culture, from religion. I mean, you can't even watch TV without commercials selling you hope. They're not selling products. When they tell me that if I use a razor blade, then I'll have just the greatest life ever. I mean, that's not a product any longer. You're selling me hope. We're trying to be convinced to look everywhere else but Christ. And listen, I want a marriage that's peaceful and, and godly, but that's not my hope for wholeness. I want relationships that are whole, but that can't be my hope. Our hope is in this. Listen, Christ follower, loved one, your hope is in this, that the God, the Father, the creator of the universe has declared you righteous. That through Christ, you're an accepted child of God. No matter, no matter what else you believe about yourself, no matter what else you've been taught, who you are in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is solid biblical truth. That's our hope. That's what we stand on. In fact, when Peter jumped out of the boat to go walk on the water out to Jesus, he wasn't so much walking on water. He was standing on the promises of God because Jesus said, come on out. He jumps out trusting in the character and the promises of Jesus Christ. But then he took his eyes off of those things, didn't he? He took his eyes off of the promise of Jesus. He took his eyes off of the character of Jesus. Well, maybe I can't be out here. Maybe the call wasn't true. So when you stumble into sin, when you, you stumble in, in struggles and difficulties and doubt, we need to stop and look underneath and go, what am I actually standing on? What am I looking to for my hope here? What's my savior right now? Scripture would call it an idol. It's a functional savior. It's, this is the thing that I think is going to give me hope. And you look beneath sin. You look beneath doubt. And you'll find what that idol is. I mean, I have to think I was an unbelievably patient person. And then I had kids. And that kind of blew that up for me, right? And, I, and here's the part for me. If you have young kids, maybe you get this. For me, where my patience is tested the greatest is bedtime. Right? Just, I, mean, I just want them to go into their beds, get inside, go to sleep, let me shut the door, please be quiet. And I would find myself, anger would rise up in me that wasn't there all day. And, and impatience, I'd be like, just go to bed, it's eight o'clock, please just sleep. What do you do? You look beneath that. What's going on? What's causing the impatience and the anger? It's that my kids had stepped into my little kingdom and knocked over a ton of idols, idols of comfort and peace. The idol of, man, I've had a tough day. I just want a nice evening. And those things get pushed over, and what's revealed? It's revealed that my hope was actually in those things. We, we take our eyes off of Christ. We put our eyes in those things. We begin to lose ground. We begin to sink like Peter. We need to put our eyes back on Jesus Christ. We need to take our eyes off of those functional saviors, those, those things that we will sin to protect. Don't mess with this idol. I'll sin to hold on to. Or those things that we will sin to pursue after. Because we think they're our hope. 
But when you read the account of Peter jumping out and walking on the water, it's not a story to see how amazing Peter was. It's another story in Scripture to remind us that we have a Savior who we can fully trust, that he's our hope. I mean, think about what we know now that Peter didn't know. As Peter jumped out of the boat, things that we know now about Jesus that Peter didn't know on that other side of the cross that we now know on this side of the cross, that through the cross, that Jesus didn't just walk out onto the water. He conquered sin and death. He didn't just go out into a storm. He embraced the storm of God's wrath. That he didn't just lift us up onto the waves, but he filled us with resurrection power. And so if all of that's true, then I know I can call out to him when I stumble. I mean, if Jesus reached out to you in salvation while you were his enemy, certainly he's reaching out to you right now to help you now that you're his child. And if you're sinking this morning, put your eyes back on what you were looking at when you first jumped out of the boat. When you jump believing, Jesus, you're trustworthy. And, and maybe you're here as a Christ follower and you've taken some big radical steps for, for the Lord and you've really jumped out of a boat and now you're in the midst of this storm. Listen, just because you're in the storm, just because things are hard, it doesn't mean that Jesus has abandoned you in the call that you've jumped out and trust him in the waves and see him again and hear him again. Take that next step, step out onto the waters. You trust him again. I mean, that, that jump, that initial jump takes some serious faith. I mean, in the story of Peter, no other disciple jumped out of the boat. But that same intensity of faith in the goodness, in the grace, in the promises, in the character of God is required for every single step of our Christian life. So for us today, maybe this morning, you, you need to jump out of the boat this morning. Maybe you've never taken that step of following Christ or maybe you've kind of said a little prayer and done that kind of, yeah, I kind of want to follow Jesus, but you've never actually taken a step out to put your whole life and hope and trust in him. Maybe this morning is the morning where you first jump out of the boat. Or maybe this morning you've been serving for a while and it's been difficult. I want to encourage you to keep trusting, keep serving, keep obeying. Keep asking in faith, Jesus, where do you want me to go now? I mean, Hebrews 12 says it this way. It says, get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. Get rid of the distractions. Get rid of the, the idols. Let go of those things that are, that, are giving, that are bringing you down as you think this is what's going to give me hope. And put those beside. Put those aside. And what's it say? Run the race with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when we look to Jesus, we can do impossible things in his name. And yeah, we may be hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. We can be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We can be persecuted, but we're never left alone, never destroyed. Why? Because you keep your eyes on Jesus. And again, we need Jesus just as much today as the day we first came to him for salvation. And so what do we do? We never take our eyes off of Jesus. We recognize that, that we have nothing inside us to, to rescue us, nothing at all. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Everything we have. In fact, Paul concludes his argument about our need for grace by reminding us this. Here's our last point this morning. It's always and only grace. It's always and only grace. Verse 4 of chapter 3, Paul says this, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, because of good things you did, or by hearing with faith? He said, everything you've experienced with Christ up until now, everything you've seen to this point, it's pointless without Jesus. He's the one doing it all. He's asking, how did you get saved? How do you continue to walk? How, who does the miracles? Who gave you the spirit? It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. Always and only Jesus. It's always grace. In fact, I would think one of the greatest arguments that it always is grace for, for the Christian is, is we just need to start looking into the lives of Christians and see it's got to be grace. I mean, how many people outside the church would look into the church and would say, man, church is full of hypocrites. 
Did you ever get that? I mean, I'll be in my town, I'll be walking around, I'll be talking to someone about, about Christ and about our church, and they'll say, man, I don't know if I could ever go to church because, man, churches are full of hypocrites. And I usually say, we don't have a quota, we can take one more. Like, if you want to join us, you can come. Here's the reality. When someone says, I don't know about Christianity because Christians are hypocrites, listen, what we need to say is, man, you nailed it. You got it right. Outside of Jesus, I'm lost. I've got nothing. It's not about the fact that I can follow an ideology or a, or a religion more, more better than anyone else. Listen, we need Jesus. Do you ever think about the fact that, that Buddhism doesn't actually need a Buddha? Just follow the rules. Islam does not need a Muhammad. Just follow the rules. Listen, if we're going to actually believe the gospel, we need to understand this. We need Jesus. Christianity needs a Savior. We need him. Because it's not that you're more lovely and that's why God chose you. No, he chose you and because he chose you, you're lovely. You're not more valuable, but you're valued by God. On that day, you rested your whole life in Christ. When you repented and you, you trusted by faith, you trusted in God's transforming power that his spirit now in you, listen, God continues to work in you. But it's easy, though, isn't it, for us as Christians to say, listen, I, I get that. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I got this whole Jesus thing. I'm good now. I can take it over from here. I can do the rest on my own. I can make my own rules. I can govern myself. I can walk the rest of the way on my own. Paul, I think I can cover this. And Paul, for, for the next few verses, he goes, wait a minute. Wait, are you sure about that? Let me bring in three wise counselors, and let's ask them the same question. If you can do this without grace. So he quotes the Old Testament. Look at verse 11. He says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God. No one's made right before God by the law. And he quotes this verse out of Habakkuk. He says, for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul's saying, hey, hey, Habakkuk, are the Galatians right? Uh, Paul, if they're saying they can do it on their own, no, they're very wrong. We live by faith, not just the starting point, but all the way to the very end of the race. It's by faith. Paul's like, okay, thanks, Habakkuk. Let me ask somebody else. Now, hey, Moses. He's about to quote from Moses. Now, now the thing about this is, if Paul starts quoting from Moses, if you're a Galatian Christian and you've been, you've been trying to say, no, it's all about the law, Moses is your homeboy. Like, this is your guy. This is the one you go, no, yeah, bring Moses up. We love Moses. What's Moses have to say? Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, and he quotes Moses now, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He says you have to do all of the law. Imagine showing up to work and your boss says, okay, whole new job description, here it is. You have to do everything perfectly here at the, the job site. You have to do everything perfectly for, for the entire day, for your whole job. And if you mess up one thing, you're fired. Okay, that's pretty difficult. You may be thinking, hey, that sounds like my boss, right? But now imagine he says this, tell you what, not just in action, but, but Google's invented this new thing that I've implanted in all your brains that I've got a screen in my office and I can even see your hard attitudes. So if you mess up even on your hard attitude, we'd all be fired before noon, right? That's what Moses is saying. Listen, if you think it's the law, listen, the law doesn't set it up for you. Good, he says the law is great until you mess up ever, then you're cursed, the law, when you read through the Old Testament, it was never meant as a, a stepping stones for how do I get to heaven? It was this cliff that you run into and you die and say, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. I need grace. Paul then asks Abraham, hey, Abraham, what do you think about living your life outside of grace? Now, who's Abraham? Genesis 15, we know that God promised to Abraham that, that through his line, that through his family tree is coming a savior for the world. A savior who's gonna take on this curse of sin on himself. And so it says in Genesis 15, 6, and Paul quotes it here, look at verse six. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That whole idea of counted to him, that, that word there, it means your bank account is full. So as far as righteousness and holiness is concerned, your bank account is full. It's to the top. Now think about who that's being said about. It's being said about a guy named Abraham who was this pagan. He didn't bring anything to the table righteously. 
I mean, the, the law wasn't even written yet. I mean, the, the, this group of Christians in the Galatian church who were so fired up about, you gotta follow the Old Testament law, you gotta do this, and Abraham was counted as righteous, like he obeyed a law that wouldn't be written for another 430 years. Now, how did that happen? How was it counted as righteousness? How was he declared righteous? Well, in Genesis, we're told that God made a promise. God made a covenant. Now, in those days, when, when you were going to make a, a covenant, you didn't grab a lawyer to write up a document. What they would do is they would take animals, and they would cut these animals in half and place each half on either side of a pathway where the blood would run into the middle of the path. Lawyers sound way better right now, don't they? And they would run right into the path, and they would walk through that together. The person I'm making the promise with, the covenant with, we would walk through those animals together. And as we walked through, we would be saying, if I break this covenant, be done to me as was done to these animals. So Abraham sets that all up. All right, we're going to do this. And the Bible says that after Abraham sets up the animals on either side, that God caused him to fall into a deep sleep, and God himself alone walked through the pieces. I can imagine Abraham waking up going, what's going on, God? Like, I thought we were making a deal. I thought we were making a covenant. We were entering into an agreement, and God would say to Abraham, yeah, we are, but you can't keep this promise. You can't keep my law perfectly. So if this thing was based on you, it all falls apart. So while Abraham's asleep, God himself walks through the animals. Listen, it's not based on our character. Your salvation is not based on your good works. It's not based on your effort. God's not going to let it be about what we bring to the table. Why? Because you and I added nothing. We were asleep when God did the work. Paul goes on. Look at verse 12. It says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, listen, God himself walked through the bloody pieces. Jesus himself was tore in two like he broke the covenant that we all broke. He hung on a cross. He became a curse for us. And now God says, my promise, my covenant, it's complete, it's unconditional, it's eternal, it's irrevocable. Why? Because God says his character never fails. His promises never fail. His name is perfect. And so we start to look at that. We start to recognize, wait a minute, it's always and only grace. The, 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 the thing about you that, that God declares about you, the greatest thing about you, that you're a child of the king, actually has nothing to do with you. you. Your heart of stone was removed and the heart of Christ placed in you. It's all about the one who gave his life for you. And we recognize that. We're humbled by it. We no longer look at ourselves. Nobody can walk in here this morning saying, look what I did. I mean, I, I've, been, I've been knocking out of the park for Jesus. Maybe I earned this. No, we can't do that when we see the cross. We can't walk in here in, in self-pity and shame either, saying, but I've, I've sinned too much. No, the cross, the gospel, God's grace, it protects us from pride, from the pride that leads to boasting or the pride that leads to self-pity and shame. Both of them, when we put our eyes on the grace of God, when we see the cross, we're, we're completely transformed and we walk in that grace. Continue to walk. I mean, think about Peter again. Think about Peter, what it would be like to get back into that boat after he sunk. He gets dragged back into the boat by Jesus. And I can imagine that moment. If I'm one of the other disciples, man, I'm going over to Peter going, dude, you sank like a rock. Right? Or, or you, you come around and go, man, it's okay, man. I screw up all the time too. We didn't even jump out. Like at least you jumped out. I, right? But what's it say in scripture? They didn't talk to Peter at all. When Peter got back in the boat with Jesus, it says in Matthew, they immediately started worshiping Jesus. It wasn't about Peter. Peter doesn't sulk. Peter doesn't feel unworthy. He just worships Jesus. 
I mean, one preacher I heard said it this way, we need to worship wet. We need to recognize that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I, I think in church, I think in church we can tell a lot of people who come in the door, we can, we can say it or at least maybe by our actions, we can give this idea, hey, hey, you're soaking wet. Man, I see the sin all over your life. You need to get dried off before you can come in here. And, and when we say that, when, when we begin to think that, when it becomes a culture of a church, what does it do? What it does is it, it, it causes all of us in here to forget one important thing. Every one of us in here is soaking wet. We begin to hide that, right? Rather than recognize that because we all come in here soaking wet, that listen, you don't come to Jesus. You don't, you don't have to, hey, get your life all cleaned up, get it all figured out, then you can come to Jesus. No, we come broken and messed up and soaking wet in our sin, and we come to the cross, and it's there that we're transformed, that we're changed, that we're made new. So Jesus would have said to Peter, let's go, Peter. We have more ministry to do. They, they got to the shore and began ministering right away. How is that? Peter had to step out and in his weakness continue to walk, to walk in grace. And so what do we do? We, we look to Jesus. We see that we're, we're saved by grace. We walk in grace and we need to keep the cross before us like a billboard. So what do we do? We preach about the cross. We sing about the cross. We talk about the cross. We, we do that. Why? Because we want to keep a clear picture of what it means to walk in grace, what it means to walk in victory. What does it mean? It means we get to that point of surrender where we call out, Lord Jesus, save me. And we surrender to him and, and we allow him to work in us, trusting in him. I mean, that's the life of the Christian. The life of the Christian is day by day, seeing and submitting to Jesus. Day by day, walking in step with the Spirit as we submit our life to him, where we daily give up our control. We wave the white flag of surrender, saying it's not about me anymore. It's not what I'm striving to do. It's about you, Jesus. And so we surrender every day. And part of that sounds simple. It sounds like an easy, well, that's what I got. I just got to surrender every day. And yet it's not easy. Now, why is it not easy? Because we're called to surrender in a, in, in a place where we're, we're called to jump out of a boat and walk in faith in the midst of storms. I mean, this whole idea of surrender, it's, it's, it's not like, well, what does surrender mean? I just got to, you know, to surrender, I just got to lay down and just trust in the Spirit. And I just got to lay here and I'm just going to surrender to Jesus. I'm sorry, I don't need to do anything radical. I mean, I've got to go to church maybe twice a month. Maybe I serve sometimes. I'll give a little bit of money, but I, I don't need to do it. I'm just going to surrender. And I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to live to an old age, hopefully, and die in my sleep peacefully and wake up to Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Like that, that's not the Christian life. We're not called to, to hide out and huddle up and wait for Jesus to come back. We're called to jump out of the boat. We're called to take radical steps of faith, to do things that, that don't make sense outside of the grace of God. And why can we do that? Why can we jump out of safety and security? Why can we leave behind things that we used to put our hope in? Why can we drop the sin? Why can we drop all these other things? Because, because we realize Jesus is trustworthy. Because we see that the things that we would fear losing the most that Jesus took care of our greatest need. What do we have to fear? Christ took care of our sin, took care of us so that we know we have him for eternity. And so submission and surrender, is it a part of our Christian life? For sure, it's a part of our life. We surrender our flesh, we surrender our old self, we surrender our sinful tendencies. We surrender trying to do it all on our own. We surrender it to Christ, to his lordship, to his promises. We surrender to what he declares about us. And then, in the power of God's spirit, we jump out of the boat and we walk in faith. We trust his grace. Listen, this is how we overcome addiction. This is how we live holy lives. This is how we overcome bitterness and unforgiveness. This is how we're freed from insecurity. This is how we're set free from those sins that keep coming and grabbing us when we recognize, man, I'm dead to that and I'm alive because of the cross. And I have the power in me to say no to that and yes to Jesus. So as the worship team comes up this morning, as we end off this morning, my question is this. Where do, you see, where do you need to say yes to God this morning? 
I mean, where in your life has Jesus so clearly called you to jump out of the boat? I mean, where does God in Christ, through his spirit, need to, need to live through you today? Where do you find yourself still living in the boat, still putting your hope and your trust in things that can never bring hope? Where are you living your life not dead to sin? Listen, it's in that place, in those dark places that we hide and protect so much, that's where God wants to enter in. Maybe this morning, you're here this morning, and you're like, jump out of the boat. Man, I've never jumped. I've been checking out Jesus for a while. I've been coming to this church. I've been sort of he- I've been hearing this stuff, and I've been sort of kind of looking in from the outside. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning is the morning you say, I'm all in. Man, I trust in his character. I trust in his promises. I- I- I'm about to jump today. Or maybe this morning you're a Christ follower, but you live so controlled by your past so controlled by shame, or maybe you live your life so controlled by sin. It's a, a sin you're enslaved to. You just keep running back to the same sin. And maybe this morning you're putting your hope in things that can never hold you in the midst of the storm. Then this morning, again, jump out of the boat. Trust in Jesus. Recognize that it's not about you anyway, it's about Him. It's all grace. It's all grace. Would you stand this morning? We're going to respond by singing about this same grace. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we want to leave here this morning as those celebrating the gospel. We want to go out of here as as those celebrating grace to, to see clearly again that there's nothing we can add to this, but you gave everything, that we came with nothing to bring to the table and you gave us everything. The only thing we brought to you was our sin and our shame and our brokenness. God, by grace, you said, I'll take all of that and you gave us Christ's righteousness. We want to celebrate that this morning. Father, I pray that if there are those in here this morning whose past continues to haunt them, God, I pray that grace would speak louder than their past. Father, those, if there are those here this morning caught in sin and temptation, running back to the same sins, the same idols, God, that this morning, Lord Jesus, your call to come would be louder than that call to sin. Father, I pray this morning that we would be able to experience again your grace your grace that has made us new, your grace that continues to call us your sons and daughters, your grace that calls us out of sin, that calls us out of brokenness into a life of radically committing everything to following you. And then in that, we have joy and hope and peace. God, we celebrate that grace this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.